Hi, peeps. Help Me Be Me is underfunded and needs your help. If you enjoy listening to this or it helps you at all, please visit helpmebeme.com and click donate or visit me on Patreon. Thanks. Hi, friends. It's Sarah May, and this is uh, an experiment in whether or not I can talk with some sort of, I don't know what it is. I think it's allergies, could be sickness. Either way, I sound like I'm dying, and um, it's probably not that pleasant to listen to. So uh, apologies. I'm going to be gravelly and throaty, and uh, hopefully... (laughs) Hopefully you can get past that eventually and just take in the content. Okay, so this is an episode, um, it's an audience Q&A episode, so I'm going to do a couple of these in the next couple weeks and, uh, and basically tackling questions from you guys. So in this case, this was a kind of um, a couple different questions that I'm merging into one, and it's all about dealing with rejection. So um, I'm going to kind of introduce my answer to the question, and then I'm going to go right into some tools. So slightly different structure. So these listeners wanted to know tips and tools for dealing with rejection. And these questions revolved around relationships, workplace rejection, friendships, um, all different kinds. And it's basically like how to deal with the effects of when you get rejected. And I would say that's a really big topic. It's a good topic because it's it's like a muscle you have to intentionally grow but um, quite literally it's one of the most valuable muscles you can have so as a start to this episode I'd like to invite you to just set that goal to get good at rejection and meaning to be okay with it when it happens not like to have more of it it's just more like you know I want to be chill no matter what like in the face of getting rejected I want to feel like okay and intact. Um, And I would say just for whatever it's worth, there are so many more things you can do in your life. You can go so much further. You can become more successful just as a human being when you have strong rejection muscles. Just because it means you're not holding yourself back from things. If you are... um, I don't know. It just makes you like a little bit more bulletproof and makes you more brave. That might be like the most obvious no nothing in the world. So anyway, on with the episode. So when it comes to rejection, there are really two parts to the pain. There's the loss of something that you imagined and like the sadness you have of just mourning the loss of that thing. And that part of it, that pain, I would say you can almost savor because it's kind of like a good hurt. It's a time of feeling like human you know you're you feel alive and you can appreciate that you cared about something and that you feel you know it's kind of a good feeling because you're like wow that's beautiful it's almost like when you lose someone that you loved a lot it's like to cry and to mourn them is a very worthy um, meaningful sadness and so if you have you know that half of rejection that part of it I think is to be moved through and processed and felt you know you cry you feel some sadness and then you pass it but it's important to keep that in mind it's like this is a 
a purging process. It's a passing process. You can you have to keep it in that box because it can be dangerous, just the kind of stories that the mind weaves around rejection and what that story uses the rejection to justify, meaning wallowing and self-pity and a dark outlook, etc. So the second half of the pain of rejection is just you on you and meaning the injury to ego. And this one is a a ton of the sting of rejection. It's us taking it personally. And we interpret it based on our inner story, like some story we already already possess. And it's like some part of our brain is scanning the environment to prove a certain point to us. So if this outcome, then I'm awesome. If that outcome, then I'm worthless. So usually when rejection hurts a lot, it's because it's illuminating a spot that you didn't feel like you were enough or you felt like a little insecure so or it's validated some old bruise for example like a fear or a belief about the world something we have unconsciously worried about that is out of our control a negative schema so to speak so i want to bring this in particular to your attention because i think one of the most helpful practices around working on rejection is really recognizing your personal reaction and leaning into it, meaning flipping on the floodlights and staring at it. Like, what is this bruise? Where are the edges? When did it originate? What does that belief say specifically and why? Because when we do that, we can very soon after that work um, through it, like despite it, like as in a healthy healing practice. And we can even more quickly overcome it. We can actually surmount it. It's really scary and dark when we resist and hide from it. It like becomes more true almost, more damning. So um, I'm going to try and think of a personal example. Um, when, When I catch myself telling stories um, to like prove like let's say to a loved one telling myself telling stories of martyrdom that in my mind is um it's like I meant I make a mental note like oh look there's some part of me that is insecure there's some part of me that wants attention that like feels like it needs to be validated and when I can recognize that habit now I have that information on hand and I can decide how I want to react to it Like, it's something that is petty and small, but when I recognize it, I can lean into that and I can say like, oh, interesting, I'm being kind of like a child. Do I want to continue doing that? Does that make me feel good or does does this make me feel petty? Because your actions define how you feel about yourself and vice versa. So the more you can act as something and act in alignment with your own true perspective on that thing, the more you will feel like that person. It's like how you can become directive in the way feelings affect you and your identity. I know my example was not really like rejection based. um, But like, for example, another, let's say you're on a date, and you immediately recognize you're getting attached to the idea of the person. And you really like them and you want this to move forward. And you immediately start subconsciously investing in the idea of them and and you guys being together. And then they say something to make you feel like your feelings are reciprocated. And then they ghost you. 
So that's like a, a really, really common and painful form of rejection. And what it feels like in that moment is a personal assault. Like the fact that they don't feel the same way and they don't want the same things as you feels offensive. Like it's a dig and it can be angering or maybe saddening. But in that moment, what I want you to do is really get intimate with the details of your inner experience. Like what does this feeling look like? Is it old? Is it scary? Is it lonely? Like what age do you feel? What catchphrases pop up in your mind? Because there are usually pretty consistent ones that we riff off to ourselves. Like this always happens. It's always going to happen. This is really hopeless. Dating is terrible. Or you're too old. This is just the way it is now. They're probably dating 20 other people, etc. And I also want you to ask yourself, in that moment in your emotional reaction, like when were other times in my life that I felt like this? Like what are the most powerful emotional memories that come up? What what feels similar to this feeling in my life, in my past experiences? And just take mental notes of the feeling and notice it, whatever they are, just very objectively take note of them and then also feel compassion for them, almost in third person. Like you can kind of say to yourself like, ah, poor little voice like that's my litany coming up that's my that's my choir of sadness like there they are and now like you're a booth operator almost like you know you're steering the excavator <laughs> like this is just scooping out emotions from your body now you get to choose how you want to manage them how you want to deal with them how you want to react to those feelings um, you get to choose your relationship to those reactions remaining in third person and in all cases it's really about knowing what the goal you have is like while moving through the physical pain that arises and the really important balancing act is not engaging or overly identifying with the mental process that results like aka the catchphrases for too long because as I mentioned thoughts are like they're like broken records and we put them on and then they play a full album that evokes many more emotions and it takes over our body and the, the longer we play this album the more we practice feeling those emotions and the emotions want more of themselves so if you don't engage with them if you don't get involved with the narrative and start you know dancing to the music emotions last like about two minutes usually and if you do if you do engage they kind of ramp up and they they deepen and I know that's like easier said than done oftentimes when we're rejected and we have an emotional response it's out of our control and we would love to just move past it but like our brain gets stuck on something um, but here's the thing sometimes we have more powerful emotional thoughts that are just tied to memories like they're tied to ways of feeling in the past and for some rejection can be a very big trigger point because emotional memories are stored in the same part of the brain with all of the other types of memories that made you feel that way. So one form of rejection can bring up a whole slew of other memories that are much more powerful and painful. And we kind of conflate them all. We get them all layered on top of one another and suddenly we feel small and like scared and sad and like demeaned as though we were, you know, nine again. But it's tied to some something that doesn't deserve that much weight Um, another personal anecdote when I feel like I have let someone down for example like I have not shown up 
I've not been accountable. That feeling triggers like really intense emotions around being a flaky drug addict and not showing up for people in like really major important ways. So it's like a really gnarly feeling of shame that's totally out of scale with present day reality. And it can be really disorienting. But I, I know it now because I've dissected it so many times and I can see it. So I know how to like take care of it, you know, like, oh, there's that feeling. All right, just keep it in its box, go through the motions of, you know, self-care. Like I need to do this, then I need to do this, then I need to do this. So you start to become an expert on yourself in all of these layers to who you are. But step one is validating that those layers exist. Because I think a lot of us just say to ourselves like, meh, no, I'm not giving myself that much credit or I'm not that complicated. Like we don't believe us for some reason. Like, so I, I think that's why I talk a lot about curiosity. It's like you have to start from a place of probably, that's probably, there's probably more to this. Just be curious and say like, act, just act as if there's more to it than you um, are giving yourself credit for. So part of the exercise I'm asking you to do is self-examine and just be curious about asking, like, when is this feeling from? Including, could this feeling be tied to another traumatic milestone or an anniversary or perhaps another experience that really hurt me? And it can be, it can be mundane things. Like, mundane things hurt us when we're little a lot. And we might not give that much importance as adults our, our memory maybe our memory has just kind of like dusted over it because we just didn't think it was that important but like often there are ties to feelings that like it made us feel really bad at some point and that can get confused in our, our emotional bodies so if you can ask yourself like is this feeling maybe about something else It'll just lessen the level of investment and engagement you have with that feeling in what it's tied to in the present. Like, maybe it's not really all about this thing. Maybe it's, maybe there's some other stuff that's coming up for me. So here's a really important point I want to make. Rejection happens fairly often in life. It's a very average, normal experience. And often... It has more to do with your life stage or your particular life circumstances than you. Just keep that in the top of your mind. Because you can go through phases of life, depending on what type of career you have chosen or what life, life stage you're in, where you're getting rejected pretty frequently. And it's kind of like a numbers game. And that can really fuck with you. And because it can't not. <laughs> I mean, unless you're like, um, you know. Siddhartha like you're you're probably gonna have like at a certain point like it's gonna get to you and that's why jobs like being an actor or a writer are not for the faint of heart but past careers they're also life stages like when you're between jobs or um you're you just moved to a new location or you're dating like in these moments the main factor is the new setting or the new embarkment it's not you and I think as a minimum, usually finding your footing in any of those things takes about a year, like at least one to two years. So just keep things in perspective. I also want to call out that there can be unique situations where you are unable to find where you fit 
that feel like it's because of me. Like it'll, it'll feel like there's something wrong with me. <coughs> Pardon. So as much as this might sound like your mom, don't take it personally. And by that, I mean, just see this objectively. Rejection will happen. And it's not about you. And it's not about um, if you're good enough. A lot of the time, it's about all of these other random circumstances that you can't even identify because they're too random and there are too many of them. And it's just it, it is or it isn't. It's either happening or it's not happening. It just is. So as you if you go through an experience where you get rejected, think about it like just feedback. It's information that you have now that allows you to be in reality, which is a good thing. And it allows you to continue on with your life, which is a good thing as well. And I always like to remind people that you want to know the awful truth rather than be misled and confused and taught to think differently. Why? Because then you can move on with your life. It doesn't slow you down. You don't waste investment. So with that, here are a few tools if you are suffering from rejection in particular. All right, the first one is a reflection tool. And it's called It's Already Written. So this is a good one for letting go of an outcome if you are bugged by a situation that is pending. Like, it literally is or it is not the right answer for you. And that is just reality. It's all the realistic factors at play. And you are not privy to all of that information, but it exists in the world outside of you. Like there is an answer that is the right one, whether or not you like it or it's preferred. And your job is simply to move through the narrative at your best and just accept that you are powerless to dictate that outcome because just it is what it is. So if you are lamenting not having gotten the guy you wanted or girl you wanted, like that was not your person. If you are lamenting the job that didn't choose you, that was not your right job. Your job is to continue on without causing yourself excess drag and extra pain via perpetuating opening this wound and process this cleanly, mourn it, process it so you can move on and find the thing that is yours. It's just, it's, it is what it is. It's just the path you're on. That's all it is. It's not good or bad. It just is. Um, all right. Next tool is called points grab. So imagine you're in a video game, for example, a Mario Brothers game, and there are little coins in the sky <clears throat> um, that have come out of this experience. So think about like, what can I collect from this? How can I milk this for growth? I like to ask more of my rejectors um, to find out more specifics, just to see if there's anything I can agree, if there's anything I agree with. Like, is there anything I can apply? Is there anything I didn't know? Like, it's, it's information I kind of want to have. Like, huh, interesting. Okay. Like, I want to see their perspective. And this is easier done when you are in a place of self-love. Like, if you have, um, when you have self-love and you believe in yourself and you believe in all of your own merits, you can hear other people's perspective without taking it personally. And because it doesn't take anything away from you. It's more like you're hearing tips, you know, or you're, you're hearing brush up uh, feedback or something. You can try on other people's perspectives for size without it um, hurting so much, you know. And that, 
part of this tool leads into my next tool, which probably about half of you will will loathe. (laughs) So the next tool is called self-love squishes. It's a squishy one. And um, I'm throwing it in here because it's something that I, I personally practiced that actually worked for me over a number of months. I've put this in a lot of other podcasts. I've spoken out on past episodes. I haven't talked about it for a while, though. And that is you can grow self-love via external feedback by doing nice things for yourself and treating yourself extremely well, like pampering yourself. I'm condensing a shit ton of tools into a single tool, but this is the simplest form of this tool. Treat yourself like you are dating yourself. If you are a person who struggles with feeling whole and can't take criticism, if you don't if you don't feel bulletproof in who you are, if you don't like yourself, if rejection like devastates you, you really have to do some self-love squishes, meaning date yourself, like literally treat yourself like you are wooing the fuck out of you. Like do really nice things for yourself deliberately, including including like pampering yourself and also setting the kinds of boundaries that you would set or or respect for let's say you have a very famous best friend who has a very high bar um in other words just go above and beyond what you deem necessary and do it for you in in like a very performative way and do it like your life depends on it do it for months I mean literally and like like there are cameras on you. That's how accountable I want you to be. It's like you have to be on all the time. And what this does is it actually makes you feel really valuable to you. It builds a sense of self-love and confidence just via the feedback, via the performance of it. Even if inside you're like, this is silly, I feel like an idiot. It's actually still working. All right. The next tool is called, um, <laughs> amazing title, Journal Prompts for Rejection. These are just a bunch of uh, a journal prompts. So if you are a journaling person, the um, this is one I've, I've given before, but I think it's helpful if you're in the throes of rejection. I want to, you to ask yourself, am I grasping at something or am I fixating on something? Because usually when we get obsessed with the meaning of something and we play it on a loop, it's because we are layering it atop an old experience and we can't see that. Like often this is a very young and seemingly mundane trauma. Like when a person is saying something on a loop and like obsessed with it and they can't seem to solve it and it's like causing them to be very upset, it's it almost always has a deeper root. In other words... The surface explanation is not what it's really about. There's something softer, more childlike. There's a hurt beneath it. So I just want you to ruminate on what that hurt might be. Because when we block something painful, our brain will rationalize for things that hurt us based on other self-evident causes around us. However, that habit keeps us stuck because it's not what it's really about. Like there, there's an underlying fear. There's an underlying... Um, belief or dread like it's a little kid that's saying no 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 so just ask yourself what is this hurt really about like am I grasping at something am I is there something that I'm like grabbing for what am I obsessed with something what is that childlike fear so when I use this journal prompt the answer is most often 
I am grasping at control. And it's because I don't want to feel powerless because powerlessness feels so big and so scary and so overwhelming. Powerlessness is like a trigger feeling for me personally, because it reminds me of times when that state was devastating. It was too much to bear. So when I can see that root and acknowledge it and, and just like tip my hat to it, so to speak, it's almost like a clenched muscle releases. It like becomes so human and okay. And it just releases a little bit of the obsession we get when we resist things. Because resisting things and fighting them in our mind is what creates the most emotional pain. Another good journal prompt, a personal excavation prompt is, what is this part of myself trying to tell me? Like, what is the hurt part of you saying? It might be saying, I need some love. I feel lonely. So if you use that prompt, let it be a prompt for action that you take that is self-loving and supportive. Like, let it be directive into some sort of self-soothing exercise. All right. The next tool is called controller helmet. So when we get into a mental state of wanting to control the outcome, whether that's controlling how someone else is going to respond or controlling how we feel in response to that person or the situation or situation, we are actually removing ourselves from a state of presentness and vulnerability. Like it's a self-protective move, but one that also weakens us over time because it prevents us from the valuable insight and learning. Control is also distance. Like I've referred to it in the past as pedestaling, like meaning putting something on a pedestal or putting yourself on a pedestal because you're putting one thing higher or lower than yourself via a narrative. Like you're either empowering someone else or you're giving yourself too much power in your narrative, which is a way to feel like you're in control of something, but it's also a way to distance yourself from that thing and protect yourself from it. I hope that makes sense. So if you catch yourself saying, fuck it, I don't care that much, but you actually do, or you catch yourself like putting yourself under someone else's foot and saying like, they're too good to like me, like changing how you feel as a way to distance from just the sheer sitting in the pain by like either you know, putting yourself in a lower position to them or a, a higher position, this practice in itself is a method of attempting to exert control of the situation. It's like what we do when we feel powerless. Like we try and craft a narrative that gives us a role that's more active. It's like you trying to steer the truth versus simply being in it and processing it as it is. Um, because if you can move through it just as it is, and just be in the pain and know you're in the pain and help yourself in the pain. It just passes a lot faster and you get better at it each time. And in the controlling process, it's like we're stealing from ourselves. It's a form of self-protection, like it's an instinct that's coming from self-protection. But it tells you in the process, like, I'm, I'm too weak to, I can't look at this thing. I can't, I can't really confront this thing. It's like we're trying to make an excuse to shield ourselves from that direct pain. But maybe you are strong enough to go through the pain. Have you tried? Like I, th I think we all do this unconsciously um, as a way to avoid something that we think is going to be way worse than it actually is. 
don't know if that made sense. Some the gist of what I'm trying to say is like if you catch yourself pedestaling, going higher or lower, giving somebody else too much power, giving yourself too much power, like that's a red flag. And and maybe step back from that and say like, how can I just sit with the pain of this and just move straight through it? And like trust yourself a little bit. Cause it's not as long as we think it will be. Um and after writing this tool, I just had a thought in case that some of you were thinking like, well, are you saying it's bad to have a positive narrative around rejection? No, I'm not trying to say that. If it's helping you to create a more positive and empowering narrative around a rejection, that's awesome. Don't stop doing that and trade this in for that. Um, This tool is really more about allowing yourself to be where you are without judgment and just be in just the immediacy of, ouch, 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 ouch. Because your feelings are valid and you can process them with the goal of, I'm like, I'm going to go straight through it. I want to move on. I want to go through this. I'm going to admit exactly how I feel to myself and know that that's okay and know that it will pass. And I don't have to spin it. I can just be in it. I can just be like a human that's like, wah. And then, you know, and you get stronger. Hope that made sense. That was a long one. All right. The next tool is called Lens Shift. So this one is specifically for dates when you are in an idealization bubble, because you might leave and think, oh, wow, we totally clicked. This is love. We see everything the same. And I'm so excited to walk down the aisle with that person. And if you get rejected by that person, um, it can feel like, oh, my God, but my soulmate just rejected me. I don't. I can't like your brain cannot merge the two people together be, and the t- to picture your soulmate doing that is like devastating. So I just want you to re- just remember your lenses are different than theirs. Like the reality doesn't strike. You can't really see them clearly until about a year and a half in. Like that's when your idealization bubble wears off. We both have or everyone has a different inner map and none of them match we just think they do we are overlapping onto them our our perspective based on all of our childhood experiences and we don't realize what is really there we don't realize their perspective or who they are until a lot later like we we just have an imaginary person that we've stuck on top of them so for whatever it's worth if they didn't like you It's because some part of their inner map was not how you imagined them. It's not as straightforward as you think. So the person you saw is not the real person. That was not who they were. All right. The next tool is called Rejection Doula. Um, And this is kind of because rejection is, I mean, literally, it's one of the best skills you can have. It's like one of the greatest muscles you could build. Just being able to sit with the discomfort and, you know, take it as something valuable and move through it, welcome it, give your, like, take in the feedback, give yourself compassion and love in the moment, um, name the feelings that come up for you, and move through it, go straight through it. And I'm just talking about active processing, almost like, you are holding yourself as you move through pain. And it doesn't mean that you validate the pain by just leaning into crying and wallowing. It's it's like you are your own doula. Like you are you are there in third person as a caregiver who is like almost like riding along on your shoulder saying like, "Okay, 
I'm feeling this. Like, what do I need to do next to help myself? Okay, now I'm in this stage. Okay, I'm going to stay here for this long and then I need to get myself to a yoga class or I need to go running. I need to get myself out of this location and I need to take myself here. It's like that third party has the voice of like a doula or a rational friend or somebody that is helping you just move through this time but is also giving you the best advice possible. And we we can all be that for ourselves. It's really like a, a habit you start to build. Just remembering that like when you're in a state of suffering and when you're in your pain, you can also be outside of it and help yourself. It's like really remembering like I am the voice that gets to take care of the voices that are in the throes of a lot of pain. All right. And my last tool is called It's Not About You Ever. So that's kind of a mantra for you. I know this is a really hard lesson to learn or to really hold on to and believe, but that's the goal is to get here. It's not about you. It just is. It's not because of you. It's not at you. It's just reality. It wasn't right. And that is something you can mourn on its own, like just the sadness of letting go of what it wasn't. And that's fine. That's great. But past that, just know that it just is. It's almost like, you know, if you think about animals in the wild, killing other animals and eating them like as a child you see that and you're like no the poor zebra but it's like no it's just like it's a natural part of life things align or they don't and it has nothing to do with whether or not you're good enough or you're smart enough it just is and it is based on so many millions of random and not random intricate interacting factors that you could never understand or care about because there are just too many And there are so many things you don't see to all the decisions that happen. Like we think we understand all that is at play in all of these decisions. But the truth is there are just too many for us to fathom. There are too many factors. There are too many factors for even those people that are deciding things. Um, And and something either is right or it isn't. Something either happening or it's not. And both outcomes are equally good because they just are. It's just reality. And your job is to take in the truth, like squeeze out any lessons you can, if there are any to be had, and then move on promptly so that you can find what is right for you. Because when something is yours and something is right, it's simple. It's obvious. It's no duh. It's easy. So if something is a struggle or it feels like you have to try so hard to be different or you have to chase or you have to... Um, contort yourself or it feels desperate or you know then it means like that's not your warp level yet like imagine this is Mario world and you just have to keep trying different portals keep working on yourself keep gathering points keep trying more portals until you find yours because it should be easy it should be obvious it should feel natural so before I close I wanted to thank my latest sponsors Allison via Patreon, thank you so much. Jacqueline, Casey, a new monthly sponsor, thank you guys so much. And David, another new monthly sponsor, thank you so much. And Yujia, a super generation, super generous donation from you, thank you so much. And Laura, sorry, Lauren via Yay With Me, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys so, so much. Um, and if anyone out there has means for a donation, really helps the show. 
come to be. And if you don't have the means, I totally get it. Um, a review on iTunes is also greatly appreciated. So in closing, the goal is to get to a place of wholeness just as you are. Like if you had nothing, if you had no possessions, if you were at your lowest in terms of badges and status identifiers, you should be happy as that person, needing no one, no thing to be valuable, you know? I know we attach meaning to whatever the external thing is. Like it's it's impossible not to. Like you attach meaning to a relationship, you attach meaning to a job, a friendship, a title, an award. But these things can, you know, hurt as well. They can do a lot of heavy lifting and keeping us feeling good about ourselves. But when we lose them or we don't get them, it can make us feel lesser. Like our literal value has gone down, which is an insane illusion. It's it's an illusion. So one way around rejection, if you've been experiencing it a lot, is to give yourself boosts of this badging, like this external support via other, I would call them old school sources that are actually much more high quality. Like if you think about this as nutrition, as like personality nutrition, there are more potent um, forms of this, you know, reinforcement that can help us see the reality of who we are and, and see the reality of our humanity and our value as a human. And we need to feel our value by being connected to others. It's like connection to others is like food or water. We need it for survival. We need to feel like we matter, like we're seen. So in other words, we need community. Community is a weird word, but we can get this in other doses. If um, you're currently trying an avenue or a source that is not available, or it's, it's like you're tr- pursuing relationships, or you're pursuing XYZ, and it's not working for you, then I would say like, there are some other places you can get that from. And I feel like, you know, a lot of us put barriers around like where we're going to hang out with people or how we're going to hang out with people or who those people have to be, and how we're going to define ourselves. But they're actually assigning a lot of these forms of, um, I would call it, community connection building they're assigning it as a, a new treatment for depression in a lot of different areas so it actually helps a lot um, and the brain is what builds walls around what you know our sense of value has to be from um, like the form of meaning a relation like the form that our our meaning has to take it's like we're like no I have to be this way I have to have this this and this and this but the truth is there are many other sources out there um and like, you know, it's, it's going to sound old school and weird, but like there are churches, there are also non-denominational churches, there are also help groups, there are also shared projects like, you know, volunteer work, um, community restoration projects. This sounds like such a, you know, like, oh, I don't want to go to these things. These types of interactions go a really long way in rebuilding a sense of worthiness. It's like you remember how to just be a human minus all your stuff. And you remember how amazing and beautiful and valuable humans are when you see them just stripped of their context and their possessions and their titles and all that stuff, you know? So if you are suffering, I highly recommend just start by signing up for some interaction along these lines, like a help group, a community volunteer group. Uh, something that is a, a shared experience 
that is not based on, you know, qualifiers like badges. It feels really good. I'm not just saying that. Um, so regardless, I hope this helps you. And to the persons who made the request, let me know if I didn't answer it. And uh, I send you my love. And don't forget to smile. Thank you.